Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's Insight Assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Fighter versus the Writer. I'm Damon Martin, and he is the UFC legend Matt Brown, and we are back. For another week of, uh, of fights and uh, Bellator and UFC both back this week. Matt, first off, how are you? I'm very good. Training hard. Getting ready, man. Ready for that call. You teased it last week. The Immortal is coming back. I'm I'm ready, man. Um, we're in talks. Just, it just isn't uh, solid yet. It's just not signed, <laughs> man. I'm well, we know, we know we're going to break the news here on Fighter vs. Rider. Why else would you have a podcast? You can't break the news for your own fight on here, you know? Yeah, especially when it's an MMA podcast. <laughs> yeah, if we were if we were, if we were talking about like we were talking about something else, it'd be a little weird. Like, why are you talking about fighting right now? But no, this is kind of the point of the podcast. So yeah, if you didn't if you didn't break it on here, what are we doing this for? Yeah, what else would we even talk about? Like comic books. Yeah, and we can talk. We can talk about metal. Don't say nerd. <laughs> I got you're looking at a shelf of comic books behind me. That's not cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was kind of the joke, but. Uh, yeah, we could talk about metal too, I guess. Uh, yeah. But I don't know if you know we're into metal, but is all the MMA people that listen into metal? I don't know. Yeah, I could talk about music a lot. I listen to a lot of music. I have, a, I, have a, I mean, I worked at a music store for years when college, so I love, I love. I could talk about we've done metal all day, so I'm all for that kind of podcast. I don't know if the MMA people would be tuning in for the metal podcast, though. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, I there's only like- a certain demographic that is, and then there's uh, those that are not, and that's fine. Right. But yeah. yeah, you know, with metal, like you either into it or, you're, or you probably hate it. Right. Like if you're not into metal, you probably think it's fucking ridiculous and it's <laughs> stupid. And you know, the cookie monster growls and shit. It's like, you know, you, you gotta be like, you gotta be into music to be into metal. I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, and also I will say like, there are definitely metal heads in MMA, but no offense, like some, a lot of fighters and a lot of people around, like th- there's some pretty crappy music around MMA. I'm not gonna lie. Like when I hear like entrance themes and stuff, I'm like, Ooh, man, 
Yeah, you, you, get you need to get you on some different music there, guys. Like, what's going on here? But yeah, to each their own. To each their own. That's what I say. I never, never judge anybody by their musical taste. Just chances are we probably wouldn't go to a concert together. Well, I'm sure we're going to talk about Izzy in the show today. But I got to tell you, he had one of the best walkout themes I've ever heard when he did came out to the Saw music. Oh, that was that awesome. Was that was amazing, bro. We got to give it to him. Like, that was just on point. Uh, unfortunately, a, it didn't work out the way that the theme song played yeah. out, but uh, it was very cool. Yeah, here's what I love about Izzy, because one of my biggest complaints about, I don't say it's a big complaint, one of my like little annoyances of the UFC is how like all the intros and everything, all the walkouts, they're all the same. Like, there's nothing really special about them. Um, and like I remember, like when they did that thing for Mendez and McGregor a few years ago, the card you fought on. Um, yeah. when they had them like live performances, like that was cool. Like it was awesome to like have like cool. Like just, I'm not saying you do it for every card. Obviously, you don't do it for every card. But like, you know, a lot like the personality part was kind of taken out of it. And I like that Izzy, like he brought back the Undertaker thing from WWE for his fight with Jared Cannonier. The Saw thing was a really cool theme to use for that. He had that like the whole you know that whole moniker for the for the prayer fight. He did that big one down in uh, Australia or New Zealand when they had that card down there, Australia, when he did that huge walkout with the haka, the drums, and everything, all that kind of crazy like dancing and stuff. Like, yeah. dude, it's the I, and I get it's not for everybody. Like, I understand like not everyone's gonna want to have this elaborate walkout, but like I just miss it. Like, we don't have any. There's like it just seems like there's no fun in the walkouts. Like, it's just music plays, you walk out, it's over. Yeah, I agree. Um, best walkout ever, though, Mike Tyson. Yeah, uh, Mike Tyson. And Mike Tyson had some pretty. Yeah, I forget which fight it was, but when he was wearing the black uh, cut off, and you know, it was just silence, and he just walked out with. I mean, God, how intense was that, bro? Come on. Yeah, head down, gloves up. He had the whole down moniker thing going on there, just. Dude, Tyson, Tyson was not, Tyson was never one of the, I mean, let's, I know people, you know, talk about this and debate this, but Tyson was never one of the greatest heavyweight boxers of all time, but he was one of the most fun heavyweight boxers of all time. Like that dude, yes. just like in his peak, he was so much fun to watch. Like it, and it all fell apart. We all know what happened, but for those few years that he was on top, man, boy, was it fun. That's exactly it. And I, I get so aggravated when I hear people talk about Mike Tyson was the greatest heavyweight of all time, or even top five greatest heavyweights of all time. Uh, he certainly could have been, I think. I don't think there's any question in that. Like, he had the ability. Um, but no, you said it perfectly, man. Like, what a fun time. We were kids at the time, obviously. But Jesus, man, when this guy walked out, you know, it, it was just like, it was just sending a chill down your spine. Oh yeah, I remember we used to back in the day we had the satellite dish and we used to steal like you'd tune in and get like the you'd you know, like steal the pay per views because Tyson would pe beat people so quickly you'd be like man could I really afford to pay for a Tyson pay per view because he just goes out there and <laughs> obliterates the guys and I like I remember like I was a kid like you I was a kid during those years and I just remember like I didn't know much about boxing but I knew Mike Tyson I knew when Mike Tyson was on someone's getting their head knocked off. That's exactly it. <laughs> Thank God, man, like that dude was just, I don't remember ever seeing a fighter where it just struck fear into every opponent. And uh, when he walked out, I mean, like I said, it sent a chill down your spine, man. Like, I don't ever remember anyone like that in the history of combat sports. And that's why everybody says he's the greatest, even though we all know he was not by, you know, anybody who knows, knows he was not. And neither was Floyd Mayweather. So we want to start talking <laughs> about, 
greatest <laughs> boxers of all time. You know, we can get into that. Uh, although Floyd in there is not one of the greatest, certainly the most successful, but without changing the subject, well, the, <laughs> yeah, man, Mike Tyson would just, God damn, like what a fucking fearful guy, man. When he was oh, in yeah. his prime, like, dude, like you heard the story about the Spinks, right? When he, uh, you know, they're in the locker room and, Mike Tyson got mad about something, punched the wall, hit a hole through the wall, and Spinks is in the other locker room <laughs> next door, and Tyson's fist goes through the wall. I mean, <laughs> Spinks was just scared out of his mind. And, of course, Spinks was coming up from uh, light heavyweight up to heavyweight to fight freaking Mike Tyson. I mean, this dude just nerve-wracking, man. Can you imagine having to go in there and box with that guy? Oh, I know. I think the only, like, the closest equivalent I can think to of that in MMA for, like, a two- or three-year span was probably Anderson Silva. There was a little bit of a time, like, a couple years in Anderson Silva when he was running at middleweight and then going up and doing what he did to, like, force Griffin. Like, he had that aura about him where, like, I said this all the time, where guys were almost beaten going into the cage with him. Like, they're just like, we just want to survive. Like, we're not trying to win. We're just trying to make it through, like, a round. Like, there's that two- or three-year span of Anderson Silva. But I think that's the closest. Because even as dominant, like, as good as John Jones has been, and John Jones is, in my opinion, still the greatest, you know, mixed martial artist talent-wise we've ever seen, um, there wasn't that, like, just that ferocious fear of him. You know what I mean? Even, like, Demetrius Johnson, as good as he was, it wasn't, like this fear of him, but Anderson, because the way he just used to just obliterate people. Like, I think that's the closest and it's still not the same as Tyson. Tyson had a different aura about him to like where <laughs> I just, I just remember watching some of those fights where the guys were in there and they're like, they're talking a good game and then they go in there and they just deer in the headlights, man. They just got absolutely frozen and then just beat on by Tyson. Like no one's quite the equivalent, but I think Anderson's probably the closest we had for like a two, maybe a two year stretch there. That's a good call. I was thinking maybe Francis might get there. Of course, now he's doing whatever he's doing, which I'm sure we'll talk about, you know, whether it's fighting Tyson Fury or um, going to PFL, whatever it is he's doing. You know, he certainly had the the power to strike that fear into people. Um, he didn't really do the crazy intimidating stuff like, like Mike Tyson did where, you know, he said, I'm going to fuck you till you love me and <laughs> shit like this, right? Like, you know, he didn't have that kind of street about him, even though Francis's history certainly adds up to probably tougher lives than Mike Tyson's. Um, the, and the other, only other guy I think that could have maybe began to struck that fear, but he retired was Khabib, right? Like, his, I mean, he made guys miserable through, you know, however many rounds they lasted. He made them miserable. And I think guys come out in the, you know, not to name any names, but I think I've seen guys in the third, fourth rounds of Khabib fights broken. And with that fear, you know, after the fight, they might have thought they were walking into, you know, they might have come into the fight with some confidence, feeling good. But by that third or fourth round, they're like, I've never felt anything like this. And I'm not getting out of here safely. And I'm sick of being in here with this guy. I'll never forget at the UFC 205 card in New York, the first Madison Square Garden card, I was on media row and he was fighting Michael Johnson on the undercard. And like it was, it, and I like Michael Johnson very much. Michael Johnson, real durable guy, real fun fighter, a guy whose like resume has a lot of losses on it, but a guy who's like always two wins away from being a contender. Like he knocked out Dustin Poirier. Like he's just, he's always like, he's always been like right there, but never quite got over the hump, had that crazy fight with Justin Gaethje. 
But I remember in that fight, like he had Michael Johnson on the ground beating on him and like telling him to give up. He's like, I need this title. You need to give up. The title is mine. You need to give up. You need to give up. I need, and he's talking to Dana in the front row. I'm like, how, like how much of a mental head fuck is it when there's a guy literally punching you in the head, telling you to give up and then talking to your boss on the outside of the cage saying, I need this title shot. And then just fucking punching you in the head, dude. How like mentally debilitating is that? Dude, I can't even imagine. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but and again, he did that to Michael Johnson, who's not some scrub either. Like yeah. Michael Johnson is one of the best athletes in the sport, man. And I think Michael Johnson has way more potential than he's ever tapped into. I don't know what uh, exactly, you know, I'm not part of his camp or anything. I don't know what's going on. Um, but that guy has some mad skills, man. I think he could be anybody in that division on any night. Be made an easy work of him, and oh, so yeah. you know, just like you said, talking to Dana during the fight, um, and or he did the same thing with Connor, right? <laughs> you know, just talking to him and telling him. I mean, I've been in enough fights. I don't know how these guys are, you know how how good he must be to be able to keep fighting, keep beating up a guy, and talking about it at the same time. Like, what a savage son of a bitch. Yeah, that dude, like I said, and again, I'm I'm glad he went out on top because so rarely do we get an instance where a guy actually goes out on top. He retired 29 and 0, retired as champion. But I'm not gonna lie, like I would have loved to see him go for just a few more fights, just because that dude was so yeah. freaking good. Like he just, man, he was just so much fun to watch, and he was just like he was just he was that guy. And I and like I said, credit to him though. Get out while the getting's good. You know, there's two exa- There's really two examples in our sport. It's him and George St. Pierre guys who literally went out on top with the title, walked away and never came back. Uh, because you and I both know there's a million other instances where guys keep coming back, keep coming. We talked about it last week with Shogun. Like I love Shogun. Shogun's a legend. I'll never, I'll never, you know, not love Shogun, but we talked about it. Like it's just sad to see a legend go out against some dude who you couldn't pick out of a lineup. If there was a gun to your head, uh, I don't want that. Yeah. Speaking of retirements, Matt, good segue here. We got the great Fedor Emelianenko's got his final fight coming up on Saturday against Ryan Bader, the last fight of his legendary career. So he says he's retired before and come back. Uh, although I think this time, I think he's like 43 or 44. So I don't, I don't, there's not a lot of, you know, not a lot of sand left in that hourglass for him to really come back again. But uh, Fedor, I, I'm kind of conflicted on this one, Matt, because Ryan sparked him in like 45 seconds the last time they fought. And, and obviously we know how good Fedor can be, but there's part of me that's like, man, like I feel like Ryan Bader's probably going to win this fight. And and I love Ryan Bader, by the way, Ryan's a good dude. I've known Ryan for a lot of years. Doesn't he's another one. Doesn't get nearly the credit he deserves for how good he is. But man, like it's going to be a little heartbreaking to see like if, if that's the way it plays out, Vader gets sparked by Ryan Bader in his final fight. Like it's you know, I don't know. I'm I'm I just I want guys to go out on top and it just so rarely happens in this sport. Yeah, I'm with you and uh, I actually think that Bader is a good matchup for Fedor, but um you know, the first time he got caught early and you know, that's what happens in this sport, right? And Bader hits like a freaking Mack truck. So what do you do, right? Like it's going to going to happen but um i'm i'm actually interested i think it's a good fight for fedor and i'm interested in seeing this fight uh, and I'm, I'm with you i don't want to see him go out uh going down like that but um you know the problem is with a guy like vader you just can't make mistakes man like you said he, he's underrated in my opinion in in terms of the uh top 
you know, 10, 20 guys in the world, you know, he's not always talked about, but uh, maybe he should be. Ryan, Ryan has kind of you know, rejuvenated his career at heavyweight. Like he's he's become a really solid heavyweight. And and we've had this conversation before, Matt, in past episodes where we talk about like being the biggest, strongest guy doesn't always necessarily make you the better guy, especially at heavyweight. I mean, Fedor, one of the greatest heavyweights of all time. He was, you know, 230, 240, pudgy. You know, he was never the big ripped up mass, you know, just ripped heavyweight. Uh, Stipe, you know, 220, 230, never the biggest guy. Cain Velasquez, 220, 230, 240. Um, being the biggest guy in heavyweight doesn't always mean you're the best. Now, of course, there's, you know, monsters like Francis Ngannou, you know, who easily pushes 260. But, um, yeah, like, you don't have to be the biggest. It's just the being the better guy. And I'm curious, Matt. You know, the, the, we had this we had this article go up on MMA Fighting yesterday, the roundtable where we all picked our favorite heavyweight of our the best heavyweight of all time, not our favorite heavyweight, the best heavyweight of all time. And we went down the list, and I was thinking about this. I was like, when you look at every other division in the sport, from light heavyweight on down, it's not that hard to pick the the so the so called goat, the so called greatest of all time. You could have a bit of a debate, but you know, light heavyweight probably John Jones, middleweight Anderson Silva. Welterweight George St. Pierre, lightweight Khabib. You know, you could argue a little bit of featherweight, but I think it's pretty clearly Jose Aldo. You know, you yeah. bantamweight's a little bit more of an argument. Who is, you know, that's a, that's a bit of an argument, but heavyweight's tough because you got Fedor, who was like this dude who went on this incredible like twenty-eight fight win streak or undefeated streak, undefeated for five years or whatever nuts it was, but. As much as I love Fedor, he had a lot of he had a lot of tomato cans in there, Matt. He did. He had a lot of weird pro wrestlers he was beating up over in Pride and Zulazino and all these weird like guys who had no business being in there with him. Now, did he also have Nogueira and Crow Cop? And absolutely, he had some really quality wins in there. But we can't like when you say twenty eight fight unbeaten streak, let's qualify who is in that twenty eight fights. And you look at you look at Stipe. Most defenses in UFC history, more than anybody else, it's only three, but it's more. And when you look at Stipe's resume, he only has one really bad loss on there. He has the Stefan Struve fight. Other than that, he doesn't really have bad losses. He has quality wins, and his losses are to Junior Dos Santos. Uh, he has a loss to Daniel Cormier, who he ended up beating twice. And he has a loss to Francis, a guy he freaking dominated for five rounds in the first fight. You got Fabricio Verdum's out there. You got Cain Velasquez. I don't know, Matt, who, in your opinion, who is the greatest heavyweight of all time? You know, I'm there with Stipe. Um, I'm a huge Fedor fan. I wish it was Fedor. Um, you know, up until Stipe, I would certainly say Fedor. So I put Fedor at number two. Um, you know, like, you, I mean, you said it all perfectly. Look, 28-5 unbeaten streak, but... It's not so much the unbeaten streak as much as the guys that he did beat along the way. Because the 28 fights, I mean, how many of them were tomato cans? A lot of them. Uh, a lot of guys that were guaranteed wins and uh, easy wins. And, uh, you know, a few of those pride matchups that were just circus fights. <laughs> Everybody loves to see, like, Zulazino, right? Like, that's just a circus fight for pride. Um, Stipe, I think, had the toughest competition, the hardest um matchups um and in the most difficult division um historically in terms of heavyweights pride certainly has a uh an argument there right with the guys that fedor beat with nagara crow cop um but 
you know, the, the, when you look at the the level of competition, like like Stipe versus those guys, look, I, look, I think Francis and Cormier, you know, is better wins than Crocop uh, and Nagara. So I go with Stipe, Fedor a close second, and Cain Velasquez should have been, but you know, should have, could have, would have, you know. <laughs> Um, I think he would have been had he been healthy and everything would have worked out in his favor. Um, his life would have taken the right turns, but it didn't. So he stuck probably, you know, I don't know, five or six or something. So yeah. I, I, I'm totally right there with Stipe. I'm, I'm betting you agree, don't you? I do. I put Stipe number one. Uh, and again, to me, it's quality of wins and, and also quality of losses. You know, his one, he has one kind of bad loss. And that was Stefan Strew very early in his UFC career. Junior Dos Santos, no shame there, you know, and that was a fight, you know, very close fight, very good fight. Their first one, he avenged it, knocked him out in their second in the rematch. Uh, he has the loss to Cormier, then picked up two wins over him. So that's, you know, quality wins there. And then the loss to Francis, a guy, every fight he lost with the exception of the Stefan Strew fight, he also has a win over that guy. You know, he has a win over JDS. He has a win over Francis. He has two wins over Cormier. Um, and the one bad loss to Stefan Struve. And, and again, that was one fight earlier in his UFC career. And listen, I know people, here's the other thing I have with Fedor. And again, this makes me sound like I'm knocking. I'm just saying like when it's, when it's close, I, I have to take these things into account. Fedor, like Fedor later in his career, you can sit here and say that like, he wasn't the same guy. He was older. Yes. I understand all that, but it doesn't not count like him losing to Matt Mitrione counts. Like, I don't care how much you dislike that he did it later in his career and he was 40 and he wasn't the same Fedor as in pride and whatever. I get it. But it still counts. He still got he still got knocked I, out. Like, and that's where I would add in, like, even if you so if we take away Fedor's later career after he lost to Bear Doom, and then I think he was on a three fight losing streak after that. And then Yeah, Dan Henderson you know, knocked him out, yeah, all that. Dan yeah. Henderson and and then you know, Mitrione and these guys beat him. So even if we cut all that out and we start before that, then just compare those careers, then Stipe still beats him, right? Because he has you know, the wins, of, <clears throat> excuse me, over Francis Cormier. And I mean, win over two wins over Cormier is gigantic. I mean, that's a, a huge, huge uh, feather in the cap right there. So, um, and a win over Francis is gigantic. So, um, you know, when it, when you take just cut out Fedor, if, if you want to say, you know, all Fedor was old and everything, okay, well, let's just, let's do that. And let's just look at the beginning of Fedor's career or, you know, his uh, the prime of Fedor's career, so to speak. I'm still going with Stipe. Yeah, Stipe, Stipe does, I don't think Stipe gets quite the credit he deserves. And I think Fedor had a bit of like that, that mystique around him and pride, you know what I mean? Like this, that, that must, and, and, and this is not a knock. Let me just be clear about that. Like there's a lot of new fans in the sport who, who heard about Fedor that weren't necessarily around for Fedor. Like when he was actually like on top and I was, you were, I think we've had this conversation before staying up late to watch him fight Crow Cop, One of my favorite fights of all time. Like I was around and cut and watched Fedor in his prime. And that dude was a monster, but you know, I just think there's some other like that, you know, he, again, his biggest wins, Noguera and Crow Cop, those are probably his two most established mm -hmm. biggest wins, you know, but at the same time, when you look at, again, Stipe's resume, you look at Ngannou. Cormier, Cormier is a great one. Like, if Cormier hadn't dropped down to light heavyweight because he respected his teammate, Cain Velasquez, 
Daniel Cormier could be in the conversation as the greatest heavyweight of all time. Like that's how good that dude was. I mean, do you remember what he did to Josh Barnett when they fought? He chucked him around the cage like a freaking ragdoll, and that's Josh Barnett. Uh, and and Stevie has two wins over that guy. I mean, it's just it's not. I'm not saying it's like you know it's a blowout. It's not you know a big huge thing, but. That's why I put Stipe number one and Fedor number two. And then I'm with you. I think if Cain Velasquez stays healthy, Cain Velasquez might be the greatest heavyweight by a mile. But the poor guy, man, yeah. he might. Cain, here's the sad thing about Cain Velasquez's career. He's probably going to go down as the greatest what if in history. Like for all he accomplished, two-time champion, all those kind of things, it's still the greatest what if because so much his career was missed by injury. Yeah, it reminds me, of, uh, like we were just talking about Mike Tyson, it's very similar, right? Where there's so many what-ifs, we see all the potential, we know how great they could be. But when we look at wins and losses, that's what we got to judge it on, right? It's got to be results. We can't base it on what we think would happen because we don't know what would happen. Um, but And also, I think we have to take into account like the different eras, too. <laughs> if, you, if you look at, like, Fedor even like Matt Hughes, right? Like he did amazing things during his era, but then GSP came in and created a whole new era, right? And this is just kind of the evolution of the sport, right? The wins that Matt Hughes had probably weren't as great as the wins that GSP had, right? And then it just gets tougher and tougher. Like Kamaru, Kamar, Kamaru Usman has an even tougher time, right? Because the level of competition is growing. The sport is growing, um, so, you know, when we talk about Fedor, I say, yes, he was the greatest of his time. It's almost impossible to put him as the greatest of all time because the level of competition just wasn't there like it is now. Yeah. And I think we could probably, we say the same with, you know, we could go back in history and look at multiple guys like that. You know, Matt Hughes is the first guy that comes to mind. He was certainly the greatest of his time in welterweight division. Uh, maybe, you know, one of the top three, of his era period, but you can't compare his wins to GSP's wins, you, you know, and the fact that GSP beat him doesn't necessarily, you know, that's not where I'm going to make the determination that GSP is the greatest and not Matt Hughes. Um, like if, you know, Stipe and Fedor fight, like I would pick Stipe to beat him, but that wouldn't be the reason that I would say he's the greatest over Fedor. You know, it's just different eras on the level of competition is coming up immensely in the past 20 years yeah absolutely no it's absolutely correct and like i said i love fedor i'll always be a fan of fedor and he may go down as number two i just can't put him again i can't erase i can't erase what happened in the latter half of his career i, I hate that we do that and i understand the the tendency to do that we kind of you know when someone has a, a lot of losses towards the end of their career we kind of forget about it but again when you're when you're when you're nitpicking on why one guy is over another guy you have to start looking at those things right like you know Stipe just I mean Stipe's last loss was to Francis Ngannou in a title fight and Francis Stipe was 39 at the time when like Stipe was a young you know 28 year old guy losing to Francis and what you know Fedor at 39 40 was losing to Matt Mitrione so I mean again how can you just say like that just eliminated because he was older because Stipe's not like the youngest guy in the world he had two wins over Daniel Cormier at 39 or whatever so I don't know I just the, the argument about like that the lot part of their career doesn't count. Yes, it still counts. Like I'm not saying it should outweigh everything he's ever done. It doesn't eliminate that, but you can't just ignore. You can't say, oh, well, the loss to Dan Henderson doesn't count. Why? Yeah, he got he got, got knocked out by a middleweight. He got knocked out by a middleweight. That counts. Like 
Yeah, it's kind of touchy with that too. Like, do you count Anderson Silva's loss to Jake Paul? I mean, for boxing, but not for MMA. I mean, it's not MMA. I mean, I, you know what I mean? Like, and and I even with Anderson, like, and, here's where like Anderson's a great a great example. Anderson. Anderson had losses in the latter half of his career, a lot of them. We know that. He did not go out on a good streak. It does not eliminate what he did. But let's say, hypothetically, Israel Adesanya had continued to go undefeated and put together, you know, nine or, you know, eight or nine title defenses without losing. I'd say Adesanya has a chance to challenge him. Now, that's been knocked off a little bit because he got knocked out by Pereira. And, you know, we're going to talk about that How in a second. How many has he had so far? Seven, right? Uh, who, Anderson or, or Izzy? Izzy, he was at seven, right before. I think, he, I, I think it was at like four or five. I don't think he was at seven yet. I think he was like four or five. Uh, okay. But then he, but then he lost to Pereira. So, but again, like if he had stayed on that run, beaten Pereira, you know, beaten whoever, and maybe gone up and done another two or five fight, then I think Adesanya has a legit argument at that point of being the best middleweight. It's knocked down a little bit because he, he he lost to Pereira, and he, he, of course he has a chance to bounce back from that. But you know, Anderson, like again, it's picky, it's nitpicky. He beat but, Anderson. He did, and he, he you, just, and you just can't you just can't for you can't negate just because you don't like that he lost later in his career you can't negate it because he took the fight he stepped in there and fought you can't just say oh it never happened because you don't like it you don't like just because you don't like the result doesn't mean it didn't happen. Right, right. but he, like I said he lost Anderson. So if you're gonna take the um, you know the whole of the career. Because the way I look at it is like, if we're going to look, if we're going to talk about the greats, we got to look at, you know, what, what was their big accomplishment, what they do, you know, it, minus like everybody's going to have road bumps, everybody's going to have ups and downs. So we got to, we don't dismiss that, but during their prime, what did they do? Right. So like what did Fedor do during his prime? What did Stipe do during his prime? He may still be in his prime, you know, if he ever fights again. Um, you know, what did Anderson do in their prime? And I don't negate what happened after, but I can also kind of cancel that out of the conversation a little bit too, because if they keep fighting, like bad things are going to happen. Yeah. You know I mean? I'm, and all, all I'm saying is I'm just saying like when you're, when you're talking about like that real close, like who gets the top spot, you know what I mean? Like in Stipe and Fran and Stipe and Fedor thing, like to me, Stipe has a little bit better resume and then Fedor has a lot of, you know, a lot more bad losses than Steve does. And again, it's not, it's not that it's not, it's not a knock on him. It's just like, like I still have Anderson as the greatest middleweight of all time. You know what I mean? Like even with those losses, he is, um, and it's going to take somebody like an Adesanya. Because you're comparing prime versus prime, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, but again, if Adesanya had gone on a run and not lost to Pereira and continued winning, then I'd say, man, this guy's a legit chance to take over that spot. Obviously, you know, that didn't happen. And and to that point, Matt, he comes back and, if he comes back and beats Pereira, that's going to be one of the biggest stories ever, uh, you know, in terms of one of the greatest of all time, because he's lost to him three times now, counting the two kickboxing losses, got knocked out twice. Bro, if he comes back and beats Pereira, that is absolutely amazing. And if there's a guy that can do it, it's fucking Israel Adesanya, man. So speaking of which, that fight got announced this past week, and of course we're coming up on April 8th, UFC 287, I think is the number. I can't remember the exact number, but yeah, it's going to be Israel Adesanya and Alice Pereira too. And of course we also got Gilbert Burns taking on Jorge Masvidal. Um, 
We talked about this before with Pereira and Adesanya coming back. I mean, this was the fight that was going to be made. I know we heard rumors maybe it was going to be Robert Whitaker. It was probably never going to be Robert Whitaker. It was always going to be Adesanya. He deserved the rematch. Six, it's basically going to be six months later. They fought in November last year. They're going to fight in April. So about six months between fights. The first fight Adesanya was winning until he wasn't. He was winning the fight, and then he got caught and got knocked out in the fifth round. Um, three losses now. Two fights where he was legitimately winning and then got knocked out. He was winning in the kickboxing match, and then he got laid out. He was winning in the MMA fight, and then he got laid out. Um, Matt, early early thoughts on Adesanya Pereira 2, technically in MMA. Yeah, I mean, I just said it. If there's a guy that can do it, it's Adesanya. It's going to be a mental challenge for him. It's going to be a mental struggle. It's going to be a mental game all around. He has the skills to do it. He has the ability to do it. Can he overcome it mentally? Because now this guy just seems like his arch enemy, his nemesis, his, his, you know, just the one guy that he can't fucking beat. So if he can mentally overcome it, I totally think he can do it. And I'd say, well, I'm picking not assigning to win this fight. You know, it's funny you say that. I actually picked Pereira to win the last time, and I was feeling pretty good about that. Weirdly, I think I'm going to lean towards Adesanya because he made one mistake. He stood in front of Pereira. He stood in front of Pereira and allowed Pereira to back him up against the cage in that fifth round. That was a huge mistake. He knows he shouldn't have done that, and he did it, and he got caught, and he paid for it. Um, He was winning all other aspects of the fight to that point. You know what I mean? Like, he can't. Like, it's kind of like Usman and Edwards. Like, you can't just suddenly reinvent the wheel because you got caught, right? Like, Usman was beating Leon Edwards soundly. He got caught. Credit to Leon Edwards. Does that mean Usman needs to completely reinvent himself to win the the, 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 the upcoming? No, he just needs to go out there and do what he was doing and not stop doing it and then complete the five rounds or or get a finish. Adesanya's the same way. Just don't back up against the cage and let him trap you there again. And 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 and, and but I don't think Adesanya needs to reinvent the wheel. And Adesanya strikes me as a pretty mentally strong guy. Like he doesn't kind of yeah. he doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who's gonna wilt under the pressure because he's lost to Alex Pereira three times. That's exactly it. And I think also, I mean, there's more to it than I think. You know, just don't back up against the cage. I do think there's a lot more. Strategy oh yeah, of course, of course, that, of course. That Izzy has to employ than just that. That's not going to be the sole determinant factor of him winning this fight. Which, yeah, you know that. Um, but you're stating a, a fact of a a big, a huge, important piece, which I'm sure Adesanya sees and knows himself. Um, the problem that Pereira faces here is he has he's not as good of a kickboxer as Adesanya. Of course he's beat him twice, but he knows that he's also he's not as good. His chance is the knockout. That's how he beats Adesanya. Twice now he's got dropped by Adesanya. Well, the, I guess in the MMA match he didn't get dropped, but he was wobbled and the fight would have been finished had he not been saved by the bell. So I don't think Adesanya is going to be mentally weak for mentally nervous or I mean, he'll be nervous, but he, he won't be mentally broken for this fight walking in there. I think he knows he, this is a winnable fight for him. He knows that he's the better kickboxer. Uh, you know, the problem with uh, fighting Pereira is it just takes out one fucking mistake, man. So that's, you know, this is a, uh, such a great matchup, man. Like, it's just, you know, world-class. These guys are just, you know, two of the best ever. Um, like kickboxing and um, now at MMA. So this is just world-class. And But again, 
All it comes down to, in my opinion, look, Pereira knows he's got that that knockout is his chance. And I think Adesanya can overcome that. Yeah, I think, I think uh, in a weird way, I know it sounds weird to say this, Matt, but, like, I think Adesanya needed that. Like, I think he was kind of sleepwalking a little bit through his last couple of fights. Mm. Like, he beat Vittori. Yeah, he beat Cannoneer. And I was very critical because, like, the Cannoneer fight, he was dominating. And, and like, he just... He just walked through rounds. He was winning rounds, but he wasn't. He wasn't gunning for. It. He wasn't doing much to like. And again, I know it takes two to tango. Put some of that back on Cannoneer and Vittori and whatever. But like, it, it was almost like he was getting bored. You know, he's just like I'm beating Ooh. these guys. Like it just kind of. You know, it kind of. Anderson went through the same thing when he was fighting Talis Letes and Patrick Cote, and he's just like. What am I really getting out of these fights? Like, what you know, I'm just another guy. Like, it's not Chelson, and it's not you know, it's not Okami who had beaten me. It's not you know the Vitor Belfort, this huge rivalry for Brazil. And, you know, it's Talis Letes. Like, no offense, but like, what does that really do for me? And he just kind of got bored. And this, where I, and I think the Pereira fight got him up. He was very excited for that fight. He got caught. He got caught in the fifth round. He didn't. He didn't get outclassed. He didn't get beat on for four rounds and got finished. He he got he lost. Out Israel Adesanya ultimately lost about two minutes of that fight. Right, like in the first round, yeah. Pereira had some good moments, and then he knocked him out in the fifth. So out of a whatever it was, like a twenty you know twenty three minute match, whatever it was, didn't go to the final bell, but like twenty three minute match, Adesanya lost like two minutes. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, and you know. Pereira pushed him around a little bit was the only uh, only I think you know he pushed him back a lot, which uh, you know we'll see if he can continue doing that in the next match if uh, if if Izzy can make some adjustments where he's not getting pushed back maybe get some more angles and um, but again he just can't make a mistake that that's the whole problem here you know Izzy just can't make a mistake I mean Pereira's got that power you make one mistake and it's not like he's not a good kickboxer, right? I mean, obviously he's, you know, one of the best ever, but uh, Izzy just can't make that big mistake. And uh, I think he can get through it. You know, I think he can, uh, but 25 minutes is a long time. So it's hard to lean heavily towards Izzy, but like I said, if there's anybody that can do it, I trust his, uh, his mental strength and his willpower. Um, That's interesting. You say that he might've needed that, you know, I would I would have never thought of it that way, but because I thought that he was doing, you know, Vittori and Cannoneer, these guys, it, it, it kind of seemed like he was coasting through. Um, I didn't think that he took it lightly or wasn't fired up for it, but he took the intelligent route is the way that I took it. And I could be wrong, too. You know, maybe he was taking it a little bit easier on those guys, so to speak. Uh, but it looked to me like he was just as fired up he was just playing a little bit safer because, you know, why take the risk when you're winning? Whereas yeah, I, Anderson, on the other hand, was playing with guys. Like, he he was taking the risk where he would throw some ridiculous stuff like, you know, if you catch me, you catch me, you know, whatever. <laughs> he, like, like, he just wasn't afraid to lose is what it seemed like to me. Whereas Adesanya was playing a chess match and winning the chess game and, you know, why why go for the kill? Yeah, like I said, it's not a it's not a knock on what uh, you know Adesanya. You know, I think more guys need to be smart about how they fight because you see a lot of guys that cost them because they want to entertain. When we talk about this, Michael Chandler, guys want to entertain 
and not necessarily yeah. just go to, you know, not take the least, you know, the, 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 the easiest way to victory. You know, the easiest way to victory is not going out there and chucking fists with a dude for 25 minutes until one of you falls over. Having some strategy yeah. in there is a better way to win. But I just, I, I just, again, honestly, like, I just feel like, like when you, when you fought against the absolute best in the world and you fought Robert Whitaker twice and you went up and fought Jan Blahovich and you fought, you know, you fought Paulo Costa, that nasty rivalry, all those kind of things. And, and you beat, and you come back to Mar and it's not a knock on Marvin Vittor, but you'd beat him early in your career. And you're kind of like, ah, oh, Marvin Vittor and, and Jared, like, it's not a knock on Jared Cannonier, but like, you know, it's like, oh, he's just another guy. He's just yeah, another it's very, guy. It's very possible that that's where AZ's head was. I'm, I'm not doubting yeah. that that's. Uh, but I think, I'm, but I think Pereira got him up, and then Pereira caught yeah. him because Izzy looked great that fight. The whole fight, Izzy looked fantastic. That was his best performance yeah. since the Whitaker fight, and then he got caught. Okay, he got caught. But weirdly, I'm with you, man. I think I think that Adesanya is going to be so much better prepared. He does not want to go down. I think he's a mentally strong guy. And I am favoring him in this fight. I'm not sitting here saying it's going to be like a knockout or I'm not going to you know, say it's going to be a you know, lopsided fight and crazy like that. But I think Adesanya can win. I believe he will win. And then it just sets up a trilogy. I mean, let's be honest. It's going to set up an epic third showdown between them. And why not? Like, you know what I mean? Like, this is a fight that's going to end. You know, unless Hamzat comes up to middleweight, which is probably the other most interesting fight that could be there at middleweight, there's still not a number one guy. Like, there's still not a guy like knocking on the door for a title shot right now. You know, you still Robert Whitaker is still the guy, and he has two losses to Adesanya. So there's no one like you're you're not passing anybody over to do Adesanya prayer two more times if that's the way it plays out. You know what I mean? Like you're not you're not screwing up the division if these two guys continue Ooh. to fight. Yeah, and. I hope it works out that way, you know, like, like that, that, that trilogy would be the biggest trilogy in history. I think, man, that's, that's just a beautiful fight. I mean, these guys, like you said, they're, they're just at the top of their division, top of the world, man. They're just amazing fighters. And I just, I want to see him go at it. I want to see Izzy get a win over Pereira too, though. That's, you know, I'm a huge Izzy fan. Um, you know, I've been acquaintances with him, you know, was before UFC, before he was in the UFC, um, train with him a little bit like just a huge fan of the guy he hasn't changed one bit man like when i met him back in the day um he fought on glory in uh denver i believe and yeah he came and he trained with us for a little bit and i got to know him pretty well and um you know just an amazing guy all around man and um you know so i'm i'm cheering for him i'm a little biased too because you know i'm i'm cheering for him hardcore man and you know, just the, one of the best guys I've ever known. And um, every time I've talked to him since, he's been exactly the same. So I, I got a special place in my heart for him and watching him come up through the ranks and and become one of the greatest middleweights of all time. So a um, little bit of bias towards him. But, you know, I want to see him win, man. Yeah. I just want to see him get that victory and set up an amazing trilogy fight. And, um, boy, it's going to be a good one. And like, like like we were talking about, look, all he's got to do is he's got to avoid that that hook, man. That that's his that's his enemy. That's Pereira's money. That's his go to, and that's uh, that's what is he has to avoid the whole time, man. And can he avoid it for twenty five minutes? Not certain, but I, I'm with you, leaning towards Izzy. Yeah, but it's listen, one punch, huge punch. Uh, but you, you're, you, you think to yourself, like, you know, you can avoid him two times. He hasn't. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta be where, you know, we're sitting, both of us sitting here picking out a Sonya, but like I said, by no means can you count on a guy like Alex Pereira Cause that's what he's got. He's got that one thing that has been Izzy's kryptonite two different times and fights that he was losing. Pereira was losing 
And both times he made him pay with that one punch. So again, as much as we're picking out Asanya, Pereira still got that ultimate, you know, the ultimate equalizer in that left hand. And I'm going to expect Adesanya to be more aggressive. And he knows he needs to get Pereira out of there, right? He's been close twice to getting him out of there early, earlier in the fight, at least. I think he's going to go for it this time a little more. And I think he'll be able to accomplish that. Yeah. The other fight that got announced, of course, was Gilbert Burns and Jorge Masvidal. And that's a really interesting one because Gilbert, of course, coming off that dominant win over Neil Magny, very the Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Impressive fight. I, of course, before that, he had that three-round war with Hamzad, a fight he was maybe a punch or two away from winning. I mean, that was my favorite fight of last year. And then you got Masvidal coming back after losing, you know, pretty not, you know, not a great performance against Colby Covington, had two big losses to, to Kamaru Usman. Um, this is this is a weird one because on paper, it seems like two guys going in opposite directions, right? Like Gilbert is still like a fight or two away from a title shot. Like, yes, he lost to Hamza, but like beating Magny. And that was just, I mean, it was one side. It was one way traffic. I love Neil Magny, but it was, you know, it was, it was over before it really started. I uh, took him down, tapped him out. Great performance from Gilbert. Um, Gilbert is like, you know, one or two fights away from knocking on that door of title contention again. Masvidal is like one or two losses away from like, I'm not saying he's going to be out of the UFC. Let me just, I'm not like going that far, but I'm just saying like, he was a guy who shot to start him in a hurry with that Ben Askren fight, knocked him out five seconds, kind of boom. He's a mega star. The Nate Diaz fight, the BMF title, that was massive. And everything since then's kind of been downhill. You know, he had the ugly fight with Usman, then he got knocked out by Usman, then he got, you know, fairly dominated by Colby. It wasn't a one's completely one, so he had a couple of mo- a couple of moments, but again, pretty pretty lopsided fight. 
To me, this feels kind of like do or die for Masvidal. Like, is he going to be a star or is he going to be a relevant fighter in this division? Because if he loses to Gilbert Burns, there's still going to be big fights. I mean, there's still going to be big fights for Jorge Masvidal regardless, but you know, he's not a guy like Connor who has that, just that longevity of stardom behind him. Like at some point people will lose interest in my opinion. Yes, I'm, I agree. And yeah, it's a tough matchup for Masvidal. If you ask me, you know, Gilbert Burns, the biggest thing on this is Gilbert Burns has been, how many times has Gilbert fought since Masvidal has fought last? Uh, two times, Hamzat and, and, and Neil Magny's yeah. fought two times since yeah. then. Yeah, he's staying active. He stays after it all the time. Um, he's a, He loves fighting. He loves competing. He loves being in there. Um, for a matchup like this, for Masvidal to come back to after a, the, this long layoff, coming off a loss, I think it's an uphill battle for him. Um, but Masvidal... If he can keep it on the feet, he's. I think he'll demolish Gilbert Burns. Right? Like that's. I mean, this is a, almost a, a classic, you know, striker versus grappler matchup. If Gilbert Burns can get him down and and keep him down, work his ground, his grappling and his uh, jujitsu and 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 his ground game, then you know it, it, it's Gilbert Burns' favor all the way. If Masvidal can keep it on the feet, is it is favored him all the way. Uh, but I think with uh, Gilbert Burns, um, you know, staying active and staying after it, you know, I got to lean towards him. See, I disagree with you there on the striking portion, though. Well, I do agree that Jorge is the better overall striker. Uh, we've seen Gilbert get big knockouts. I mean, look at what he did with Hamzat. They threw they, – and I'm not saying, like, he's a better striker, but he's got that punching power that he could hurt Masvidal – on the feet and 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 he's got that x factor being his ground game if he takes this fight to the ground and that's where masvidal has struggled you know so much of of the fight with usman and so much of the fight with colby you know not being able to break away and actually you know deal with the wrestling i don't don't know that gilbert will submit him because masvidal has really sneakily good defensive jujitsu like he survived with damian maya on the ground but you know, when you when you combine this, as long as Gilbert as long as Gilbert doesn't go out there and just swing for the fences and hope for the best, I think he wins this fight because he's got way more ways to win, in my opinion. Like he's got, and also, you know, what what are we going to get out of Masvidal? Like, is he like? That's the big question, I think. You know, like what what where is he at in his career right now? Like where is he at? Like I think he's kind of on a downward turn right now. You know what I mean? Like I don't think we've seen any proof recently to say man this guy's you know he just had a couple of tough fights so he got he got laid out by kamaru and then just lost an ugly fight to the biggest rival of his career a guy he wanted to knock out desperately wanted to knock out colby covington he didn't do it yeah i think that's the big question where is masvidal going to be at but but i do think masvidal is going to dominate gilbert if he can keep it on the feet um you know i think hamza is kind of where we're saying uh you know, Gilbert's got some good striking in him, but Hamza and Masvidal are very different strikers. Like, I don't, I don't necessarily see Masvidal knocking out Gilbert, but I think, you know, Hamza was going for the kill, and which leaves him open to uh, getting hit back, and that's where Gilbert was taking advantage of, you know, Hamza coming in there thinking he's just going to knock him out and, and uh, bully him around a little bit, and Gilbert just didn't stand for it. You know, he just threw back hard and uh, hurt Hamza a couple of times. Whereas Masvidal is a more technical, going to pick you apart type striker. And if I think if he can 
uh, keep it there. I think he'll be able to pick Gilbert apart. You know, he'll, he'll get hit. You know, it's a fight. Just like if Gilbert takes him down, like it's not going to be an easy domination for him. But, you know, I, I lean towards Gilbert on the ground and Miles Vidal on the feet. Is this, because I, I said this earlier, man, I really do believe this. Is this do or die for Masvidal being a, a legitimate contender at welterweight? And I say it is because, you know, he's already lost to Usman twice. He lost to Colby. If you lose to Gilbert, again, there's no shame in losing to those three guys. We're talking about three of the best guys in the world, but Masvidal's not a young guy anymore. It's not like he's 29 doing this. He's in his, you know, his late 30s doing this. I like if he's going to be a contender, and I'm not saying he's going to be champion, but let's be honest, if Leon Edwards can beat Usman a second time and Masvidal can beat Gilbert Burns, they're going to fight. Like, they're going to match up Edwards and Masvidal because there's a huge rivalry there. But if Masvidal can't beat Gilbert Burns, it all goes away. And that might, in my opinion, Matt, that might be the last time we're talking about Jorge Masvidal as a legit welterweight contender. Not saying he's going to retire and he's not going to be relevant. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, like, in terms of being a legitimate threat to the best welterweights in the world, he needs to win this fight. I'm right there with you. And I think, it, you know, if he loses this fight, it's, it's just a huge uphill battle for him. And he's got a lot to go back to the drawing board and overcome, got to get the right matchups. Um, I don't think Gilbert is necessarily the best matchup for him coming back off of uh, uh, back-to-back losses like this. So, uh, you know, respect to George Masvidal. He's a fucking gamer, man. He comes in to bang and, you know, he's not afraid of anyone. And he goes in there with the high skill set. <clears throat> but uh, but you said Gilbert's fire, firing on all eight cylinders right now. And that's a tough spot for George Masvidal. But, you know, I think Masvidal has the skills to win this fight. But can he implement those skills? And um, like you said, coming off these losses with the layoff, all this. Um, man, it's because it's, it's an uphill battle for him. He loses, it's even more of an uphill battle. Um, but he has the skills to be champion, I think. You know, what's funny is, is like this fight has like such polar opposites in what a, in what it means for Mazda. A loss to me, you know, kind of knocks him out of relevancy and turn out again. Doesn't mean he can't be a good big fight, doesn't mean they can't match him up with someone and make a big, you know, big pay per view. That's not it at all. He can still do that. I'm just saying, like, if he wants to be consider one of the best welterweights in the world. Then on the flip side, if he wins, now again, his fight takes place a couple weeks after Usman and uh, Edwards, so we're going to find out, you know, how much it's relevant at that point because if Edwards loses, then it kind of goes all the way anyways because he lost to Usman twice. They would never make that fight again anyways. But if Edwards can pull off the upset a second time, then at that point, Masvidal's career can go in complete opposite directions. If he wins, yeah. he's getting a title shot. Like, let's just be, he's going to get a title shot. It's going to be a massive pay-per-view, him and Edwards, all the backstage beef, the fight, the two-piece and a soda, three-piece and a soda, all that comes back up. Huge fight. He loses. Suddenly, we're back on, well, I guess he could fight, you know, and we're looking at, like, the, you know, we're looking at, you know, outside the top 50, like, is Nate, is Nick Diaz around? Like, is Nick coming back? Like, what, like, what, you know yeah. what I mean? Is he going to fight Robbie well, Lawler? Like, no, no, I'm saying, I, I, no, no, I'm saying, I'm saying, like, I'm saying, like, in, in, in like, in terms of just Masvidal, like, going one way or the other, like, he, he can go all the way to the yeah, top or he can if, go right back. To, what if Edwards and Masvidal both lose? Then they match then, up. Maybe. You still do that fight. You still do that fight. That's the other one that's yeah. out there. 
Yeah, the only problem is if one of them wins and one of them loses, right? <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. That is true. If if Edwards loses and and Masvidal loses, they could definitely do that fight, and it still has meaning. Masvidal's still a star, and star power saves you from a lot of like. I'm not saying it's fair or unfair, but star power saves you from a lot of ridicule when it terms in, in terms of your importance to the division because. While I say this is kind of do or die for Masvidal as a contender, it's also not because you're a star. You know, like him and they could match yeah. up. They could match up uh, Masvidal and Robbie Lawler tomorrow, and that's still a big fight. They could match him up against Nick Diaz, who I don't really know if Nick Diaz should be fighting anymore. But I'm just saying, like, if they made that fight, it would be massive. You know what I mean? They could put Masvidal in there with Connor, and it is still a huge pay per view. Star yeah. power, star power saves you from like all the all the ways like one loss can cost a guy, and, and they got like a they got to go on a ten fight win streak to get back to where they were. Masvidal's not in that, in that case. He is a star, so it saves him from the same level of ridicule, I guess. Because as you said, if, if Edwards loses. And 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 Masvidal loses. They fight each other, and guess what? Still a huge fight. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, he has big fights coming, no matter what. He's the star. He's a, a huge star in the UFC now. Everybody loves Masvidal. Everybody loves watching him fight. But in terms of rankings, that's what we're. That's what yeah, yeah. really matters, right? In terms of rankings, he loses this fight. I don't know if he drops out of the top ten, but he goes down pretty significantly. Where's he at right now? What four or uh, five? He's, I think he's like maybe eight, seven or eight, something like that in the UFC rankings. In our rankings, I don't have him ranked anymore. Um, in our mm -hmm. MMA fighting rankings, I dropped him out because he's been out for a year and guys have continued to win and do things. In my, yeah. my opinion, you have to, you know, he has three losses in a row. And again, they're not bad losses, but um, when you got guys like Shavkat Rachmanov coming up, you got Neil Magny fighting four times a year. You got, you know, guys like that. Jeff Neal just picked up a big win, you know, all those kind of things like those guys take their spot, you know, and, and if he comes, if he comes back and beats Gilbert Burns, of course he's going to be ranked again, but, um, yeah. you know, inactivity and guys fighting, keep keeping busier and getting wins. That to me jumps your head, but yeah, Masvidal, Masvidal is one of those rare guys. Kind of like, there's like three or four guys. It's like him, Nate Diaz, Connor, you know, guys that could lose, 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 lose. Yet they're still relevant because they're stars. Like that's what star power does yeah. for you. Exactly. Those guys are always going to be relevant. We're always going to want to watch them fight. But how you you know the the rankings is what matters the most. Yeah. Before we, I totally agree. Uh, before we get out of here, Matt, I want to bring up a couple of things that came up over the weekend and uh, a little bit of your more more of your world in the world of boxing. We saw that the fight between Jake Paul and Tommy Fury is finally gonna happen, supposedly, at the end of February right. in Saudi Arabia. Uh, this matchup has been booked like four times. They're finally going to fight Matt. I've said this on our show before, and I'll say it again. Now. Um, I, I like Jake Paul. I think Jake Paul's a pretty decent boxer. He's not a championship boxer. I'm not going that far, but a pretty decent boxer. Have you seen Tommy Fury fight? I never watched him fight. I couldn't, <laughs> I heard he does not look too good though. He's awful. I've never, like, I've never you would imagine, <laughs> you would imagine sharing DNA with the one of the best heavyweights of our era would help you in some way become a decent boxer. He is awful. I mean, awful. Like Tyron is Woodley insane. is a better boxer than 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 Tommy Fury, and it's not even close. Like Tommy Fury is the is awful. Man, Jake Paul knows how to pick him, don't he? <laughs> and you and the backups, Mike <laughs> yeah. Perry. He's got Mike Perry as a backup just in case. 
Okay, okay. That's actually a pretty interesting fight, man. Mike Perry can box a little bit. I'd give Mike yeah, Perry a better actually. shot than Tommy. I'd give Mike Fury. I'd give Mike Perry a much better shot than Tommy Fury. No shit. Okay. I, I, I'm going to watch Tommy Fury fight now. I've never watched it. Just these circus sideshow fights that I have a hard time getting into. And, uh, you know, I mean, Tommy Fury's never, never done anything of interest to me. So <laughs> has your, uh, has your opinion of Jake Paul changed at all in terms of just like overall opinion of him beyond just boxing? Also, we also know he recently signed the deal to join the PFL. He's going to be fighting MMA. So he says, you know, there's going to take a year to train or whatever. He's going to do MMA. We know that's not easy. We know uh, that transition for boxers has never really gone that well. Um, there's very few instances where it's gone anything close to well. Um, he's also starting this, you know, he's talking about starting this fighters association, wants to, you know, get fighters on board for that. Uh, we've talked about Jake a lot in the past, Matt. Has your opinion of Jake changed at all? Um, I've never really had a negative opinion of Jake. You know, I've always said what he's doing, you know, more power to him, right? What he's doing is just, it's a sideshow. It's not really uh, boxing. You know, what boxers do is they, they start amateur, you know, maybe go to the Olympics if they can, and then they go pro after, you know, a number of fights and work their way up the rankings. Like Jake Paul didn't do any of that. I mean, you know, he's just, he's fighting guys that aren't boxers. He's finally fighting a boxer. Um, but, I've never not had respect for what he's doing. I mean, he's making money. He's putting himself out there. He is, you know, getting in a, a ring with boxing gloves on, throwing fists with legitimate athletes. Like like Tyrone Woodley's a legitimate athlete, you know? Like, you better be a good boxer to beat Tyrone Woodley. I mean, he's not, you know, just some slouch, whether he knows how to box or not. I mean, the dude is a, a world-class athlete. So, you know, I've never taken anything away from Jake Paul, but – you know, it's just, it's not boxing. So I just see it as a completely different thing altogether. It's almost like WWE versus uh, uh, freestyle wrestling, right? It's just two completely different things. Um, even though what Jake Paul's doing is probably real. But um, so, you know, I, I, yeah, more power to him, man. You know, let, I'm going to see what he can do. Uh, I don't mind watching it. And I don't usually watch it, but it doesn't excite me to watch it. Uh, you know, but it's cool, right? It's here's what I, here's what I give Jake credit for. It's entertaining. He makes it entertaining, and I think that's one thing boxers and MMA fighters in general could take away from that. I'm not saying you need to become Jake Paul because not everyone's going to be Jake Paul, and that's totally okay. But he makes it entertaining. I like I said, there's I there's a million boxers you could name right now, Matt, that I've never heard of. Not because I don't, like I don't follow boxing as closely as you do. I know the big names. I know the champions. I know the Tank Davises, and I know the Tyson Furies, and I know the Alexander Alexander Usyk's and names like that. But when you go down the list, like the number five guy who you think's a monster and whatever, blah blah blah, probably never heard of him. Why? Because they just don't they they don't promote it, and and they don't kind of cross over boundaries. And credit to Jake Paul for doing that because he is making it entertaining. He's because whether we like to admit it or not, Matt, combat sports has some relativity to entertainment and, and people are drawn to that. And Jake Paul makes it entertaining. Yeah. I thought when you were talking about boxing every weekend, I thought you were going to talk about the better be of match. So yeah. Like, yeah. Well, that, yeah. That, that, there you go. Like that's a name. Like I was kind of, I knew who he was. I was not super familiar, but there's another example, like a guy who's really good, but just doesn't 
doesn't really break through the the mainstream kind of you know like barrier whatever you want to call it but yeah like that's what i'm talking about guys could guys could all what i'm getting at is guys could take a bit of a lesson from uh from you know from from jake paul in that regard to make themselves a little bit more marketable make themselves a little bit bigger in terms of attention because he does a good job at that yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I, and again, I don't take anything away from him. You know, like what he's doing, he's out there making money. He's putting himself on the line, you know, regardless of the uh, opponents that he's fighting. Um, I just don't consider him a boxer, you know. That, that's all yeah. it comes down to. I mean, um, like he's he's not, he's not good. Like if, if he goes up against Canelo, he's getting demolished, right? If he goes against Baderbaev, I mean, he's getting fucking ridiculously demolished. Like a dude is... <laughs> amazing he had an amazing performance over the weekend you know his only problem is his age right like it's where um you know i think you're going to hear more about the guy in in, in the coming time um and i, I wish everybody would have watched that match over the weekend i mean he, he's a fucking amazing boxer uh but look jake paul he's doing good things man he's out there he's getting the sport uh, uh more in the mainstream uh more people are talking about it um more people are getting into boxing um, and I, I think his road to MMA, if he does it, MMA is probably not as big as most boxers would be, right? Cause you talk about boxers crossing over, you know, he's not really a boxer. So, you know, I think he, he wrestled here in Ohio for a long time. So he has a good base there. I know his brother was a really good wrestler. Um, so that wrestling base is going to do more for him than the boxing base, but, um, you know, honestly, his boxing skills right now are good enough to carry him to a pretty high level in MMA. And with his wrestling skills, uh, you know, assuming that he's keeping them sharp and he was a decent wrestler in Ohio. I mean, Ohio is not a joke for wrestling. You know, it's one of the toughest states there is next to Pennsylvania. So, uh, look, he, he has a high ceiling in MMA. Yeah, I don't I don't necessarily disagree. I just hope that, you know, he takes it seriously because, you know, I mean, listen, I'm not saying that like Claressa Shields didn't take it seriously, but like we saw from her first time stepping in there, it was just yeah. she just wasn't ready. She just was not ready for what she was gonna fit. Yeah, yeah, but like that's exactly, she is a boxer, boxer. And here's the difference too. When Jake Paul comes to MMA, I think one thing he's gonna discover is these guys that, that he's fought in, in these so called boxing matches, you know, he for one, he fought all, you know, older guys and, um, you know, I don't know. I'm not going to call them washed up, but, you know, guys that, you know, they weren't boxers and they were older. Look, these MMA guys, I know a lot of MMA fighters, even no, even fighters that aren't good. They're fucking lions, man. Like, they're starving, blood-hungry lions. Like, it's a different beast. Like, boxers are generally – there's some beast boxers too, but generally like they're, they're athletes playing a skill game. Like when you get into MMA fighters, like these guys are just savage fucking beasts, man. Like they're, they're lions coming for blood. Yeah. And Jake's got to be aware of that because, uh, you know, there's not like, you know, will, can he win an MMA fight? Sure. There's, there's fights just about anyone could win an MMA or boxing or any other sport. You get the right matchup, you know, there's a way to win. We've seen that, but, uh, yeah, I mean, man, like I said, it's not easy, and and you know, all eyes are going to be on him, and uh, you know, it's all about matchups, so so on and so forth. But you know, dude, you've trained your entire life 
you know, you train your entire life to do this, to do MMA, and it's still an impossibly hard sport. You know what I mean? Doing it and doing it well. Now, again, I'm not saying they're going to throw Jake Paul in there with, you know, the best, you know, welterweights or middleweights in the world, whatever weight class he's going to fight at. He's not going to be fighting Adesanya. He's not going to be fighting Kamar Usman or Leon Edwards. We all know that. But, um, you know, even even 1-0 guys, 2-0 guys in MMA are dangerous to a Jake Paul because, as you said, MMA guys are savage, man, and they want, like I said, there's guys out there who you've never heard of who are, who are badasses, and, and they don't care that Jake Paul is good. They don't care that Jake Paul has a name. They want to take out Jake Paul. Again, look what, again, I know, again, not it's it's a different example, but like I said, it's like what happened to Clarissa Shields. She was fighting so uh, so-called nobody, right? She was fighting a nobody, somebody she should, and she got... She had more or less dominated her second fight. She lost the most majority of her first fight, too. Uh, and then she came back and won. But that's the reality. Even the fights you're supposed to win are not a guarantee in MMA. Not like boxing, that's right? It. There's in, a in there's amazing. a million there's there's so much predictability in boxing at the lower level, right? Like you know Canelo's never gonna fight a guy in his third pro fight who has absolutely any chance whatsoever beating him. None. It's not gonna happen. In MMA, you don't have that option. You cannot predict that a guy with no experience is just going to mollywop his competition. You cannot predict that in MMA. That's exactly it. It's a different piece, man. These guys are, are savages, and you can pick the right matchup and still lose. There's so many different ways to lose. It's just a different beast, man. Like the, the type of people that, that choose this sport for a living are just a different animal altogether. Um, and we, I mean, we've seen it. How many guys have come over from different sports, excel uh, crazy at their sport, and then they come to MMA. And again, you're just dealing with different animals altogether, man. These guys are savages. And uh, you know, you look at Marcelo Garcia, Andre Galvao, um, you know, these jujitsu guys. Like they could, they should dominate the fuck out of everyone but they can't do it because it's, it's a different beast. They're not used to that intensity. They're not used to the, um, you know, God, I don't, I, it's hard to even describe what it is, man. Like these, like it's just, these guys, you know, the, you take them down, they punch you from the back, right? You, you pass their guard, they're elbowing you from side control. And you're just like, what in the hell is wrong with this guy? Like, why does he keep doing this? Like, the, the, you know, and uh, boxers, it's the same thing, man. These boxers that, you know, they're used to just outskilling guys, you know, using their fast footwork, athleticism and speed and all this. And there's so many ways to overcome that in MMA. That's what makes this sport so beautiful. There's so many uh, ways to victory. And um, that's why it's so much more impressive when you see, you know, you know, guys like John Jones or Demetrius Johnson just in there dominating title after title, you know, versus guys, you know, like a Floyd Mayweather, who's, you know, winning 20 title defenses, you know, picking when he fights, which guy and, um, you know, putting them in uh, tough positions. And, you know, it's just so much more impressive to me. And No, I agree. I, and also to that point, like when you talk about crossover athletes from other sports, like the only, the only guys who come into MMA or girls for that matter, who come to MMA and I'm like, that's a fighter. You got to watch. That's a prospect or wrestlers like Bo Nickel. I'm a big Bo yeah. Nickel believer. That dude's a monster. When Kyle Snyder was talking about coming over, I said, if Kyle Snyder does MMA, he's the, be he's the best prospect this sport's ever seen. Day one, like without a doubt. That guy's so explosive, so dominant in wrestling. He's going to be a prospect on day one. But 
Ed Ruth is a monster. Ed Ruth was a four-time national champion, and he's had struggles in MMA. He's like eight and three. And like he's a good fighter, but he's still not developed into that great fighter. Bo Nickel, I think, is a guy who could be an absolute star. He may be a future middleweight champion, but he's still got to go in there, and there's still no guarantees. MMA is the most unpredictable sport, which is why we all love it. And I, I here's a question for you, Matt. I'm gonna throw here's a, here's a I'm chasing headlines here, Matt. Uh, you're an Ohio guy. You have an Ohio-based gym. Jake Paul, of course, is from Ohio. He's from Cleveland. He's from the state. Would you train Jake Paul? No, of course I would train him. Yeah, I mean, I, I train. You know, look when I look at training guys, I don't look at you know how much money I can make off of them. I don't look at um, uh, you know necessarily whether they're going to be champion. I don't look at any of that stuff. I look at are you going to be loyal? Are you going to have integrity? Are you going to represent? Right. I've kicked out multiple guys from my gym um, that were good fighters. Um, high level guys with tons of potential, um, but they don't show the loyalty and the integrity. They don't show the, um, you know, the respect. And that's all that I look for. That's all I care about. So if Jake Paul came in, showed the respect and showed the integrity, showed that he's a good person that I want to be around, then of course I would train him and not even cared about the money. Um, one thing that, you know, like my entire objective when I opened my gym was that I want a place that I want to walk into every day, a place that I enjoy being every single day because I'm on the mats every single day. So I want a place that I enjoy being. If you bring in bad energy to my gym, then, and, and you make me not enjoy being there, then I don't want you around. So yeah, that probably completely fucks up your headline, but uh, that's really what what it comes down to, right? Like there's, this is what a lot of people may not recognize. Like, you know, think of like your workplace. Uh, like if you work in an office, you know, these people listening, like if you work in an office or if you work in a factory, like one bad person can ruin the entire vibe and now you hate your fucking job. If you're around great people, even if you're doing a miserable job, you can enjoy it. Like, this is my office. This is my laboratory. When I'm on those mats all the fucking time, all day long, until I come to podcast with Damon Martin. (laughs) (laughs) I'm on the mats all the time. I want to enjoy it. I'm too old for that bullshit where I go in and, you know, just want to get the hardest rounds and just get the, um, you know, just grind hard as I can and try to fight everybody in the gym and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Like, dude, I want to enjoy my day. And um, so going back to the original question, if Jake Paul made my day enjoyable, then yes, I would absolutely train him. I get the feeling he probably would. He's a character. He seems like he's a hard worker. And, um, you know, he he does seem like the type of guy that would, um, uh, you know, be a kind of a loyal guy. I mean, he, he comes across to me like that way. I don't, follow him that closely to say but he comes across to me that way yeah you know i i only know jake a little bit from interviewing him you know a couple times and i know people around him and everything you know you got all the social media stuff and you know he's he's promoting himself and good for him but like everything i hear about him off that like when it's just the, the cameras are off and he's just being jake paul everyone says he's a good dude he works hard he trains his ass off he's serious about it um you know, you can sit here and question how serious he is when you look at some of the guys he's fought. Okay, fine, but 
you know, he's making money. I'm not going to, like like I said, Tyre Woodley is a bigger fight than some 1-0 and boxer would actually be a big, a tougher fight for him because no Ooh. one knows that guy. Everyone knows Tyre Woodley. Everyone knows Anderson Silva. Everyone knows, you know, Ben Askren, whatever the case may be. Um, so I don't fault him for any of that. And he seems like he is a hard worker. I'm, I'm making that connection, Matt, only because, like I said, you have a gym. You have one of the biggest gyms in Ohio. Uh, he's from Ohio. Uh, I just, and I think your style, I think it's interesting. Like you have a style with your clinch work, with your elbows, the, the weapons that he's, that he could incorporate from boxing and still use in MMA. Like, I think it'd be an interesting part. And of course you also got the legend, Mark, the hammer Coleman works up at your gym. Like talk about who could you have better to teach a wrestling for the first time or help you improve your wrestling. A guy like that. Um, I don't know. I just think I, like it popped in my head. I was like, I think that'd be a good partnership. Like, cause listen, Jake doesn't need to do this. He doesn't need to fight MMA. He doesn't. He's making, listen, I don't, he's fighting Tommy Fury, a fight that I think he will win and win handily. He could fight, you know, I don't know. I'm just making stuff up. Like he could fight Mike Perry after that. He could fight Nate Diaz after that. He could fight Nick Diaz after that and make millions upon millions of dollars. Never have to work another day in his life. Continue to just do what he does in boxing and never have to even bother with MMA. The fact that he wants to do it. The fact that he's saying, I'm going now again, he hasn't done it yet, but the fact that he's saying, I want to fight MMA, I've signed with PFL to start developing my MMA career says a lot to me because he doesn't have to do this. This is not like I want to do this to make money thing. This is a, I want to do this to prove myself kind of thing. And kudos to him, man. Like, uh, you know what I mean? Like kudos to him because he doesn't need to do this. Yeah, I'm not sure what his whole plan is here, right? Because he was talking about he wanted to be a real boxer, right? He wanted to go. Uh, you can't train MMA and box and go box real boxers. It's yeah, just, you know, you're going up against guys that are you know only working their hands boxing for six eight hours a day versus guys that have to do. Uh, you know, if you're training MMA, now you got to do jujitsu, you got to do wrestling, you got to do clinch, you got to do kickboxing, you know, and then you got to do some boxing. And and the sports are very, very different. That's why when these guys go over into boxing, I'm never too sure about them, no matter how good a boxing they were in MMA. Um, when you go over into boxing, I mean, there's just so many things that, that change and so many adjustments that you have to make, not only to the fight itself, but to the training and the lifestyle. Um, the entire culture is different. So, you know, he I, I'm just not sure what his goal is, you know, which one does he want to do? And it's cool if he wants to do MMA. Um, but again, you're you're. You're in a different world now when you're fighting MMA fighters. You're in a world of fucking savages. It's not to say that there's not a lot of boxers out there that aren't savages, but there's a lot more athletes that are great boxers than there are, um, you know, savages that are great boxers. Um, there's a few and far between that have some of both. Now, in MMA, I would say it's kind of the opposite. There's a lot of savage sons of bitches. And then there's a few um, at the top that have kind of both. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And and that's the thing. Like, you know, if if, if I was going to offer one piece of advice to Jake Paul coming into MMA, I would say just take it very seriously because there's no playing around in MMA. Like there is no, like you're not going to get fate. Like you're sure you can get a couple of matchups early on to give you some confidence or whatever, but even those are not guaranteed because there's a million fights we've seen where someone is supposed to win and they don't. Um, and your room for error, your room for error is zero 
in MMA. Like you cannot met you like that MMA. If MMA was going to have a slogan, Matt, MMA would be the sport where the slogan is "fuck around and find out." Like that is literally the slogan of MMA. Because if you don't do one thing right, your opponent will make you pay. They will kick your legs. They will elbow your face. They will take you down and maul you on the ground. They will submit you. They will choke you out. They will snap an arm. They will snap a leg. You are in danger in every single position in MMA. There is no escaping that. So if you're doing it, good for you. I'm kind of with you, Matt. I don't really know why, but good for you. He doesn't need to do this, so whatever. Uh, but please know you better take it seriously because there is no playing MMA. You do not play MMA. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, you don't really play boxing either, but, you know, like you said, they're, they're, uh, even if you get the right matchup, you know, these guys, MMA, it's just a different beast, man. These guys will go out and they'll just throw for the fucking fences for no reason at all. Like, you know, you you might come up against, you know, Leonard Garcia. He lost five in a row. But this dude's going to wing, like, wild windmill punches and not give a fuck if you hit him. <laughs> like, you, just, you just don't know what you're getting into with these guys. Um, you, you might get a guy, again, he, he's lost three or four. One, one of my fighters uh, had his pro debut match the other day and, um, he was going up against a guy who was zero and three, and then and we're like, oh, this is going to be easy. And then he gets in there, and you know, this dude suddenly is like showing all kinds of these skills. Where how's this dude fucking zero and three? Now my dude ended up uh, beating his ass, but we're like, how did he lose to you know the guy that my guy, my fighter, is a very very talented kid, and he's going to be to the UFC at one day. But I'm like, how did this guy lose three before? Like, is there, you know, is there, is he only fighting guys that are as good as my guy? <laughs> so, you know, that, you just don't know in this sport, man. There's so many ways to win, so many ways to lose. And uh, like you said, you're you're never safe, man. You're, you're never safe in the sport. Guys will, I, I mean, how many times in boxing do you see guys pull out something, you know, in the last couple rounds after losing for, you know, you know, six or seven rounds in the eighth round, they pull it out. Or, whereas in MMA, how often do you see guys losing 13 minutes of a fight and winning the last two minutes? Like it's, it's not even that uncommon at the, at the lower levels, you know, like these guys pull shit out all the time. So um, yeah. So I, I think Jake Paul needs to, as long as he's got the right people around to understand these kind of things and tell him these kinds of things. And he's not a stupid kid. I'm sure he's watching. He knows what's going on. Um, and you know he's going to get the, get himself the right matchups. We already know this, and PFL is going to help him get the right matchups. He's going to sell great fights, um, but it's not going to be so easy. It's not going to be so straightforward as boxing. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I totally agree. Well, there you go, Jake Paul. You got an open invite. Come to the Immortal Training Center yeah. in Columbus, Ohio, and uh, Matt Brown will teach you a thing or two. Yeah, I think we could have some fun, but I don't think he even lives in Ohio. Anymore. No, he lived, I think he's tra he was training down. I want to say in Puerto Rico, and and then he obviously lives out in L.A. So I mean, there's obviously good gyms everywhere. Um, but you know, like I said, it's an Ohio thing. Come back to your roots, man. Come back to Ohio. You know, like grind. Like that's not that's yeah. also when you come to Ohio, you're getting away from the glitz and glamour. There's no paparazzi around here trying to take your photo. You know what I mean? So come back here to you know just train with the train with the badasses in Ohio where you're from. Cause that's the kind of mentality you have. If you're taking MMA seriously. Cause like I said, there is no playing MMA. You are not playing in this sport. But at the same time, don't bring the paparazzi here either. motherfucker. 
<laughs> that's the last thing you that's the last thing Matt Brown wants is paparazzi around the sons of Jim. Yeah. Well, uh, folks, we're going to get out of here. Obviously, we appreciate everyone tuning in each and every week to uh, Fighter versus Writer. Make sure you check us out on all your favorite podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and, of course, over on the best website in the world, MMAfighting.com. Matt, anything you got going on you want to plug? Tell people where they can find you, all that good stuff. Yeah, man, you can check me out on social media. I'm the Immortal on Twitter and Instagram. Oh, man. You get a little bit of everything, you know, you check out my instructionals on dynamic striking. Um, got a couple more coming. Got uh, working on my own online curriculum. going to build my own website with a uh, uh, full MMA curriculum. And that's going to be striking, wrestling, clinching, jujitsu, everything to do with MMA, strength and conditioning, um, everything. It's I got the whole outline made and uh, we're, we've been filming a little bit. So I teach classes at my gym. We're going to be filming the classes. So you're going to watch other people learn as you can learn too, right? So you'll see the mistakes that a lot of beginners make and see me correcting them. And um, so I'm pretty excited about that, man. It's going to be a lot of work, but we're, we're putting the work into it. Um, and I'll probably, it might end up being in the summertime before it gets done because I'm probably going to be fighting pretty soon, probably in March or April is what I'm hoping for. So I'm ramping things back up, gearing up for the next fight, getting the weight down, getting the cardio up and ready to hammer away, man. And um, I'm being fueled by the immortal coffee at the immortal coffee.com and routine by um, my nutritional supplement R R O O T I N E. Damn it. (laughs) <laughs> routine there you go uh check it all out and support matt uh as, as matt continues to do the show with me uh as always want to say a thank you to everyone tuning in each and every week to fighter versus writer we'll be back next week of course this week we got uh fedor's final fight we got the ufc card and then we got to roll into uh some more ufc cards coming up in the next couple weeks so we got lots to talk about so stay tuned for all that and we'll see you next week for another edition of the fighter versus the writer thanks for tuning in see you then Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it.